All right, good morning, and welcome to The Story Church. I'm Eric Huffman. I'm the lead pastor at The Story, and if it's your first time with us, I want to say a special welcome to you. I'm uh, here at our Timber Grove campus this morning, so if you're watching online or at our River Oaks 945 service, I want to say hello to y'all and welcome you to today's service. It's been an awesome day of worship, and I am so looking forward to today's message. Every Sunday in the month of September, I have the great honor of addressing one of the questions that someone from our community at The Story sent in as part of our Ask Me Anything sermon series. So for some unknown reason, our staff, including me, we decided to give the reins of this series over to the congregation, to the whole community. And y'all are determining every week by submitting your questions and by voting on those questions in our online surveys, which question will be the topic of the following week's message. And I want to give you all some kudos. You've done a terrific job planning your first ever uh, sermon series. And, uh, and we've had a great time with the first two weeks. We got two weeks to go and we have two great questions left uh, to, to answer. Next Sunday, just a little teaser here. The question y'all chose in this week's online poll is uh, the, the Bible never mentions the words premarital sex. So the phrase premarital sex never meant, is mentioned in the Bible. So why are so many Christians so against it? So thank you to whoever submitted that question. That'll be an interesting message next week. And, uh, and today's question really is just as interesting and every bit as important. The question that y'all chose in last week's online survey that I'll be talking about today is what do you do when you believe in God in your head, but you can't seem to feel him in your heart? So even though you believe the right things in your head, you don't seem to be able to feel God emotionally in your heart. Great question. One that I think a lot of us deal with and one that I hear all the time in some form or fashion. And just for full disclosure, I I edited this question some just for brevity. In its original form, whoever asked this question wrote an entire doctoral thesis to us about um, what led them to pose this question. And so I had to edit it to make it palatable for this online survey and for a sermon title. But I wanted y'all to hear a little bit more of the heart and the color behind the question as it was asked, because I think it really adds something to the whole story. So an additional quote from the, the person who asked this question was, what can be done when someone struggles to feel that God loves him or her? So hear that. They struggle to feel that God loves them, all right? Especially in an increasingly isolated and lonely world. So that part of the question is really what sold me on this question to include it in one of the surveys. I, mean, I just, I think it's a question that we all can relate to. Right, and we always say this, but especially since COVID, right? As we feel like we're we're more separated, more distanced, more isolated, and lonely. Even though we have all these devices that connect us, we feel more disconnected. And when the loneliness creeps in and the isolation takes over, man, these feelings can can become so prominent in our day to day lives. And so, who can't relate to this feeling of just once in a while being overcome with this? this shadow of a doubt, one day in a moment that just out of nowhere even, just being overwhelmed by this feeling of, oh, what do I believe? What is real? 
is it all worth it, what I've been doing for God and, and these beliefs I have in God and, and the way I live my faith? Does it really mean anything? Does it really make a difference? Is God really there? Does he care? Is he responding? Because sometimes it feels like he doesn't. And so this question today isn't really about this, this extended dark night of the soul that a few of us have had, right? We're not talking about you know, when you become an atheist for 13 years and then you come back around like a prodigal son. I'm talking about those fleeting moments of darkness, despair, and doubt that can come over you and really plant seeds um, that, can, that can flourish in some negative ways in our hearts if we, if we don't address it. And so, so I'm, I'm talking about the, the times when you don't feel it like you used to. You know, you go to church maybe, and, you know, you sing the same songs you used to in the same way that you used to at the same church that you used to, but there's just nothing in your heart. There's nothing there. Or you get on your knees to pray like maybe you once did, but you don't feel it anymore like you once did. There's just nothing when you pray. Or, or you know, you open your Bible to your favorite book or, or verse, chapter and verse, and you read it, you read it, you read it, and there's just nothing there like there used to be. And that feeling can be really scary for Christians. It's really scary when the, when the feelings go away, when the spark is gone. A lot of us come to a, a real crossroads moment. And the only thing I can compare it to in, in everyday life, you know, if you're not a believer or if you're trying to get what I'm, what I'm um, trying to say today, is in a romantic relationship. Let's say a marriage, right? Every marriage goes through something like what we're talking about today with us and God. Right, so every marriage, you start out and for the first, however long, right? However long the puppy love phase lasts, you know, you're, that whole time, the, the, the sound of this person's voice was enough to change your whole week. You know, it made your day just to see them. Every time they walked through the door or someone even mentioned their name, a, a, a flutter came over you in your heart, right? And your, your heart skipped the beat and, and you just felt what they call butterflies. You know, the butterflies, you felt the, the fire, you felt the fireworks, the, the spark, you know, and every time you were with this person, every time they, their hand brushed yours, it was like, oh, it was something powerful that you felt. But then for every, every marriage, <laughs> there's that first time that you see that person who's, who used to set your heart on fire <laughs> and you see them for the first time, maybe in just the wrong light you know, maybe without her makeup for the first time, really, in the wrong light, or you see him when he doesn't know you're looking and he's not sucking his gut in and, and it, it's, it's, you didn't really notice it before, or you hear, him, you hear him snoring and it's just not as charming as it was the first time. And it seems like the longer they snore, the louder it gets. And, and you just become disenchanted. And what do you do when that happens? You, you start to freak out a little sometimes. One thing people do is just freak out. And the train leaves the station long before it should sometimes. And those thoughts, they just are like a snowball running downhill, right? You start to think, wait, why, where did the feeling go? Where did the passion go? The spark, the tingle down my spine. Was that just a phase? And is what I'm feeling now reality? Like, was that the illusion and this is real? You know, and, and is, it, is it really love if you don't feel this? 
Was it ever really love? Those kinds of questions easily creep into the mind of someone in a romantic relationship or a marriage. And I will tell you, many a marriage has ended long before it should have because one or both people involved decided that, hey, I like the fireworks. I deserve the butterflies. And everyone deserves the butterflies because that's how love feels. And when you get to that point in your, in your own thinking, all it takes is, is one coworker who looks at you nice or, or, or you know, a, a handsy yoga instructor or a, <laughs> a, a Instagram follower to slide into your DMs and, and then the marriage is, it's curtains, you know? And that actually happens all the time. I don't mean to make light of it. That actually happens when the butterflies are no longer there or felt and people just freak out. Now, thankfully, that's not the only choice you have when the butterflies go away in a marriage, right? If you're married and you're listening, I hope you hear this. Maybe you'll hear this at our re-engage class that started this past week. Um, Listen, you can also choose to work on the marriage when the feelings go away, when, when the butterflies aren't there. Instead of freaking out and wondering if this is even real love, you can choose to work on yourself. Imagine that. You can choose to, you know, go to counseling or, or um, maybe join a, a couples group together at church or get into the Word of God together or work on your communication skills together. There's all sorts of practical tools that any marriage counselor uh, would, would give you if you go to them. The same kind of tools you would hear at Reengage, or you would hear from a pastor if you took your problems there in, in your marriage. These practical tools we talk about to work on our marriages can all be applied to our relationship with God. Because just like your relationship with people, uh, your, your relationships with people will always have their ups and downs, right? Your relationship with God is a relationship with a person. And it's not always going to feel the same way. And, and sometimes we get into this and we have an emotional experience that really draws us in. And then six months later, the emotions have faded. And so what's left? Listen, the emotions do not define your relationship with people or with God. But especially for the sake of this question this morning, I want to say with God. Okay, so I, I want to um, offer some real practical, simple, biblical advice. And this is not a tried and true method. <laughs> this is stuff that I came up with as I responded to this question and things that I think people will find helpful um, based on my own experiences as a person, as a Christian, as a pastor uh, who's walked through this kind of, um, of darkness and dark seasons, empty seasons with many, many people. All right. So well, the first thing I'll say is you have a choice on how to respond. All right. Now I'm going to take us through four little steps here. And the first thing, whenever you don't feel God in your heart, like perhaps you once did, is just know that you are in good company. You're in good company, all right? The, the, the Bible is full of people who we call the heroes of the faith, who experienced and endured dark, empty seasons where they didn't feel God's presence like they wished they had. They all went through that. The, the Psalms, right? The thickest book in the Bible, which is right in the middle of God's word, The Psalms are basically 150 Hebrew songs, worship songs that were, they they date all the way back, the oldest ones, 3,000 years, the reign of King David, really ancient songs. And then they were compiled during the the Babylonian exile a few hundred years after King David. And when they were compiled, 
they chose, the, the Hebrew leaders chose 150 worship songs to really be the, uh, comprise the hymnal of the Hebrew people during perhaps one of the, the darkest moments in Israel's history, the Babylonian exile. And when you look at the Psalms, it's really, it, it's really shocking how many of them are full of despair. 40%, more than 40% of the Psalms in the Bible are, are lament songs. They're sad songs, 40%, all right? So more than 40%, almost half. Like Psalm 88, for instance, check this out. This is in the Bible, the word of God, okay? Lord God of my salvation. That's a good beginning, but stay tuned. I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. In other words, you're not here with me, so wherever you are, may my prayer reach you. Listen to my cry. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit. That's one of the ways the Old Testament refers to hell. You put me there. In the darkest places, in the depths, your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced my friends from me. Amen. COVID, 2020, all right? You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? I'm desperate. You've distanced loved one and neighbor from me. And now darkness is my only friend. Imagine. Imagine if 40% of the songs that we sing in church had words like those. Imagine if we close today's worship service with Hello Darkness, my old friend, <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel style. Imagine if we did that. If 40% of the songs we sang were that sad, I know what would happen. Y'all would complain and you would complain hard. We don't come to church to, to be, you know, uh, to be sad. We don't come to church for this kind of a downer. We come to church for some uplift. And we sing some happy songs, pastor. And I know that comes from a good place. I do. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And Christians are, are living and dwelling in the joy of the Lord all the time. So of course we want to sing happy songs. But while 40, more than 40% of the, of the psalms were songs of lament, Less than 1% of popular Christian songs are sad songs. Less than 1% of the songs you hear on Christian radio and in Christian worship services today are, are, are lament songs. And that leads me to wonder if we're really in pursuit of authentic joy or if we're just chasing a feeling. And those are not the same thing. And it's easy to conflate the two. But, but sometimes I think we're just after the hit of, of dopamine, you know? I, I think sometimes we're just after that, that, that rush of joy, the thing we call joy, but I'm not really sure it is because when we conflate the two, we forget that that little fleeting moment, it comes and it goes, but joy is really a posture that is impervious to your circumstances. So you can have those little fleeting moments of happiness that are based on, you know, your circumstances, how you're feeling, how much sleep you got last night, what you just had for dinner, whether you're hangry or not, whether you got cut off in traffic on the way to work or not. You know, all those things are circumstantial, but that is not joy. The real joy of the Lord is impervious to all circumstances, and it remains steadfast. 
regardless of how your circumstances change. Here's the real trouble with chasing the feeling instead of, instead of joy, is that we think we have the power then to demote God in a way, if we're honest, to demote God from king to genie, from Lord to just servant, really, our little magician in a bottle who is supposed to act on demand for us. And that's a really common and frankly toxic way that, that Christians get into thinking um, these days. In the Old Testament, we find all kinds of examples of heroes of the faith who, who went through really dark periods. Gideon was called the greatest judge in the history of Israel. But Gideon said in Judges 6.13, after God had called him to do something great, Gideon said, well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? In other words, things would be better if he were really with us. And where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us. That's how, that's how Gideon spoke of God's presence, the great Gideon, right? A hero of the faith. And he just stands in a long line of others, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, like the list goes on and on. And even Jesus, who, who felt forsaken for a moment on the cross, you know, according to the gospels, Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus knew what it was like to feel cut off, distanced from God. C.S. Lewis was considered by many uh, in the 20th century to be the greatest Christian voice in, 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 in the 20th century. And, and, and many preachers right now, in this very moment, and including me on most Sunday mornings, many preachers across this great land are quoting C.S. Lewis to bring their sermons home right now. But I doubt that any of them are offering this quote of C.S. Lewis's, which he wrote after one of the darkest periods of his life, after he lost his wife, after an illness. This is what the great C.S. Lewis said. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present, a commander in our time of prosperity, and so very absent, a help in times of trouble? All right. So when you, when you, when you lose the feeling you once had, when you can't seem to feel God in your heart, I think it's important to remember that you're in good company. The second thing I would say is not only are you in good company, but that means you can be honest with God. You can be honest with God about how you are feeling. Remember the words of Psalm 88. These are some of the examples. Listen to how the psalmist talked to God. You have put me in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have distanced me from my loved ones. Why do you reject me, hiding your face from me? Do any of us ever talk to God that way? I don't, I don't remember a time when I regularly talked to God that way. But the Bible teaches us that we should. I think we have some kind of a weird fear about it, like God's going to smite us with fire from heaven for talking to him this way, for giving him some lip, like he's going to slap us with the back of his almighty hand or something. That's not how God is, apparently. Apparently, God doesn't mind it because the Bible's full of this kind of thing. So listen, if, if you feel disenchanted with God, if you feel disappointed by God, if you feel angry at God, say so. Tell him. Let those words roll off your lips in prayer. The worst thing you can do in any 
close relationship. Let's go back to marriage, okay? The worst thing you can do in any marriage is to say things are fine when they are not, to pretend things are okay when they are not. That's the worst thing. That is the recipe for resentment, and resentment is the number one killer of marriage the world over. All right? So every husband listening to me right now (laughs) knows that if all your wife will say to you after you've clearly messed up is, it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine, then something has gone horribly, horribly wrong, and there's going to be a price to pay (laughs) at some point. Saying it's fine is usually not a good sign, right? But I wonder if our posture toward God and the way we pray to God sometimes gives the impression that things are fine when really in our hearts they are not. Think about how we are at church. Nowhere do people put up more it's fine walls around their hearts than at church when it's time for worship. How you doing, brother? I'm fine. No, you're not. How's it going, sister? How was your week? It was fine. How's work? It's fine. How's family? They're so fine. How's your husband? He's fine. (laughs) You know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And we don't ask the deeper questions, but if we did, we might hear the same responses. How's your walk with Jesus this week? How's your heart when it comes to God right now? How are you doing in this journey of faith? Fine, fine, fine. But are we really? It's fine is the, is the easiest way to build walls, impenetrable walls around our hearts. And we say it's fine where God is concerned so often that it's a, it's a wonder that he ever gets to our hearts at all. It's a wonder that we ever feel him at all with, uh, given how, frankly, dishonest we can be when we pretend like it's fine and we put our hands up in church and we're always showing up for small group and we're always doing the right things, but Rarely, if ever, are we being as honest with God as the psalmists were, all right? So if, if you can't feel them in your heart, one tip I would offer is just to, to be honest with God about it. If you're in pain, tell him. If you're disappointed, say so. Okay, so we you can't feel God in your heart, uh, you're in good company. So be honest with him about it. And third is, but check your emotions. But check those emotions, all right? We're an emotional culture right now. We're at just this emotional inflection point where emotions and feelings are driving everything. And, uh, you know, I want to say that our emotions are good. Emotions come from God, y'all. So they are inherently, you know, good, good things, good parts of us. But we can overplay emotions sometimes. We can overemphasize what uh, certain emotions mean at certain times when we feel them, right? I think it's just because we've all been raised to, 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 to know that we're supposed to follow our hearts and things like that. Listen, according to the Bible, this is Jeremiah uh, 17, 9, says the heart is deceitful <laughs> above all things <laughs> and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, sometimes your sentiments will play tricks on you. The Bible, according to scripture, uh, follow your heart is like the worst, most hateful advice you could ever give someone. No, don't follow your heart. You can't trust it because emotions, they come, they go, they rise, they fall. They're, they're so very subjective and, and, and based on 
our circumstances, you know, and, and if we follow our emotions too closely for too long, we'll begin to conflate what we're feeling in a moment with what is ultimately true. We'll conflate emotions with truth. But emotions are just subjective. They're important, but they're subjective. And, and, and truth is, is objective, right? Emotions are circumstantial. Truth is impervious to circumstance. And so sometimes if we give too much weight to our emotions, it can really confuse us. And sometimes we just have to be honest and say, look, uh, I'm having a bad day. Look, this is not a good time for me. Look, uh, I'm, I haven't rested. I'm hangry. I'm, uh, I'm hormonal, I'm, I'm in the dumps, like whatever, like to not allow emotions to take the place of truth. Sometimes we have to name emotions for what they are and recognize the frailty of them and, and where they fall short uh, so that we can harness emotions in a way that, that uh, leaves the door open for truth. Now, when we put too much stock in our emotions, something else that happens is that we begin to think think and feel that the good times we go through are the God times, right? So when, when times are good, that's when God is good. And when times are bad, that's when God's not around and, and maybe we've done something wrong or, or God's just not being very good right now, or there's some, uh, you know, there's some distance for whatever reason. But we usually think good times, good God, Bad times, bad God. That's not the way the Bible talks about this at all. It's a very worldly perspective. Scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, darkness often brings great value to our lives. The dark times, the empty seasons, the difficult moments are oftentimes where God works in us the most not overtly and not in a a butterflies kind of a way, right? But in some ways, taking the butterflies away from us, pulling the emotional aspect away from us, helps us to see our faith and our God from a different lens. Remember, um, for Christians, (laughs) what's the greatest event in history? The best thing that's ever happened, the resurrection, right? Every Easter, what do we do? We, We pack our sanctuaries with people dressed to the nines and we celebrate joyfully. But Christians should always remember where Easter began, not in a packed sanctuary full of joyful, happy people <laughs> dressed to the nines with Easter baskets and Easter bunnies. No, nope. The first Easter began in an empty, dark room where God was not. And that's one of the great mysteries of our faith. Sometimes the empty, dark places where God is not, uh, uh, lend us to a deeper faith and, and really pave the way toward a, a faith that pa- surpasses mere emotion and, and sentiment and really goes uh, to someplace much deeper and really uh, someplace more sustained, sustainable in the face of, of, of difficulty. All right, so we we lay down deeper roots in our dark dark times than we would when everything's just peachy and everything's easy, because sometimes God speaks to us through darkness, and sometimes darkness really does serve a purpose. All right, so emotions can be good, but we have to learn to check them, especially during those seasons when we're just not feeling it. Fourth and finally, the last tip I would offer is when you can't feel God in your heart, you're in good company. So be honest with God, but check your emotions with 
your convictions. One of the cool things about this question as it was posed was the assumption that we're talking about someone who understands the basic Christian tenets because the, the questioner said, even though I believe the right things in my head, I don't feel it in my heart. All right, so we're assuming this is somebody who understands the, the basic essentials of, uh, of Christianity. This is somebody who understands in your head that, um, you know, God is God, sin is real, uh, my sin is a, is a problem, but, but Jesus has atoned for me, like the basics, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That's it, Christian essential. That's a, that's a fundamental belief that you can believe in your head, even if you don't feel it in your heart. The, the, the atonement is another one. What Jesus did on the cross for us, right? So uh, we, we know that God's love is proven in this, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's a fundamental belief that you can believe in your head even when you don't feel it in your heart. The power of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and Christ has come to set us free by his Spirit. All these things are things that we can hold on to that remain true even when we don't feel them, right? So when you feel them, it's great. But even when you don't, these truths remain the same. And what's really important is this, that we learn to filter our emotions through these convictions and not the other way around. Because if we come to a place where what I'm feeling at any given moment isn't in alignment with what I know to be true about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and what they say about me, if, if what I'm feeling is out of alignment with that, it's my heart that's out of alignment, not my head. It's my feelings that are out of whack, not my beliefs, all right? So at that moment, I can take a step back. I can take a deep breath and relax. It's not that the feelings when I felt them were just a phase. It's not that it was not for real. It was an illusion, you know, and really God's just distant and cold or if he's there at all. No, 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 no. No, what I believe to be true is true today, tomorrow, and always, regardless of how I feel about it. And, and when you go through these dark periods, it's important, I think, to remember that, uh, that filter of our convictions. So uh, uh, when you can't seem to feel God in your heart, you're in good company. So be honest with him, brutally honest if necessary, but check your emotions with your convictions, all right? I'll wrap with this. I'll just say that your journey with God is really a marathon and not a sprint. And sometimes we treat it like a sprint, right? We have to learn to endure these seasons where God's just not as ever-present as we felt in the beginning or the time that we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We have to understand that when we learn to endure those times, he will make our faith a formidable weapon against the dark forces that have that have challenged us and the dark forces that are at work in the world around us. He can make you a warrior in that way when you trust him enough to endure through these dark and empty periods of your life. Now, it's easier said than done. I recognize that. But when you face these seasons of deep doubt, it's important to take stock and to remember these things, all right? This is, this is what we know to be true about God and his will for you and me. It's God's will to make you holy. That's the reason for the whole Bible is to send a message to the world 
that God loves us so much that he refuses to just leave us in our sin. He's going to make us holy. Now, that's his his priority with us, not to make us successful or happy or rich, but to make us holy. Now, that means pure of heart. That means childlike. That means truly joyful with a joy that's impervious to circumstance. That means righteous and obedient, freely obedient to God. That's what he wants to do. But the way that he makes us holy is by making us humble. That's just real life. This is real talk, all right? The, the road to holiness, always it's like Highway 59. It goes through humble, or humble, as they say up north, all right? It always goes through that humble place, and God is always going to humble us as a way of making us holy. I don't see any other way. If we're haughty or self-important, how do we even get to this place God wants us to go called holiness? But the way that he makes us humble is by making us wait. He makes us wait. Waiting on the Lord in those dark, empty seasons can be torture sometimes, but it doesn't mean you just sit around passively and and with complacency. No, to wait is to anticipate God's action. It is to hope in God and in God alone. I love that in Spanish, in the Spanish language, the word wait and hope are the same word, esperar. So when you say yo espero, you're saying either I hope or I wait or both in some way. And I think that is so deeply true, the interconnectedness of waiting with hoping. When you wait on the Lord, all your hopes are in him, even when you don't feel what you once felt when you sang the songs at church, right? And finally, as we wait on God, we face the choice. We're given the dignity of choice. God gives us the choice in our waiting to continue loving him for who he is, or listen to this, we can love him for who he is, or we can just use him for what he has to give. So you can choose to love him for who he is as your God, as your king, as your father, or you can choose to use him for what he can give you, to exploit him like you would a genie or a servant or a magician. That's the choice he gives us in our waiting. And, and, and one of the gifts that the empty season can really bring us as we wait on the Lord is the gift of gratitude. And I, I just can't overestimate the importance of gratitude for those of you who are going through a time right now where the feeling is gone, the magic, the spark, the fireworks are gone. Gratitude, spoken, free, joyful gratitude to God in spite of your circumstance, is the key that unlocks all that resentment. It unlocks, you know, the the wall of, of I'm fine. It unlocks all the things that are holding us in our place. And it, it unlocks our hearts to experience, once again, the joy of Jesus as we once did. I know that that all of this may be hard to hear if, if you're going through one of those hard times. Maybe you want to revisit this message at a later time when your heart is more receptive, but I would challenge you if you're the one that asked this question or if you resonated deeply with this question, as I did, frankly, to open your heart and absorb what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you right now. No one that I know of, no Christian anyway that I know of, has ever had more reason to doubt the goodness of God than the, the, the Apostle Paul himself. 
who went through uh, a lifetime's worth of struggles in just uh, a few years as a Christian leader, right? He, he went through shipwrecks and persecutions and attempts on his life and pris- imprisonments and, and eventually his own death as a martyr. But the Apostle Paul never let any of that take his joy away. Even with that thorn in his side, right? That debilitating whatever that was, that was given to him as a messenger of Satan, right? That, that stayed with him his whole life long. Even in his loneliness and, and occasional desperation, the joy that he felt about God and the gratitude that he spoke about God helped him endure those difficult and empty seasons. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 11 verses 33 to 36, and this is the kind of joy that I wish for myself and for you, brothers and sisters. He said, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You pray with me. Father, we want to believe like we believed when we felt it. We want to trust you always as we did when emotions ran high. Lord, we confess it's so hard sometimes to perceive you. It's so hard in our limited finite minds and perspectives to to trust that you're there when we don't feel you like we feel we should. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our doubt, to stabilize us in our dark, empty spaces, and to give us what we need to endure through these seasons when the feeling's gone for a while. And when we are at that crossroads between just freaking out and walking away and 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 the other path of of working on this relationship, help us to choose to work on this relationship with you, to work on us, to challenge you when our hearts are broken even, and to be honest with you, God. Help us to follow in the footsteps of the heroes of Scripture who voiced their despair and disappointment when they felt it, because that's what love really looks like. Not just warm fuzzies and butterflies, but honesty, Raw, real, authentic, vulnerable, honesty. And so, Lord, when our hearts are broken, we know that you want us to to say so, to open up to you, to no longer build those walls of its fine around our hearts, but to open our hearts to you so that you can minister to us and grow our faith. We thank you for the good times and the bad because both have brought us great gifts. Both have deepened our faith in different ways. Lord, I pray for those who are in the thick of it right now, and I pray that you would give them strength to endure. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.